This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Strangers and Aliens, episode 117, important moments in sci-fi history, Gilgamesh to Frankenstein. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, Palmer. Versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that He created something. So we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens podcast. Welcome to Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben Avery, and I'm here with two of my good friends to talk with you about sci-fi and Christianity and the intersection of the two. And my two friends are, of course, as always, Dr. Jace O'Neill and 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 uh, not so doctor Steve McDonald. How you doing, guys? Good. Yeah, it's been a little. Uh, we were were we all three together last week? Yeah. Yes, we, we were. were yeah. We were. I'm glad it was so memorable for you, Ben. <laughs> well, there's just the, we've got these extra episodes that we're kind of sticking in here and there, and I'm kind of losing track of when we recorded what. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we're kind of starting a new series here, and I don't know. I mean, I think this will be a standalone if we don't do a series with it. You know, it's it's I think the perfect pilot episode. It can be used as its own standalone story. Yep. Yep. You know, you can release it as a DVD, but you can also make a series out of it. So um, this is uh, important moments in sci-fi, and this is from <laughs> antiquity to the 1800s, or Gilgamesh to Frankenstein. So we are going to be talking about um, milestones in the history of sci-fi and a little bit of in fantasy as well. So, yeah. um, uh, and Steve. I want you to kind of explain a little bit here of some of your thinking because I had sent out our list of uh, topics that we have been waiting on. And one of them was a series idea uh, doing like the important milestones in sci-fi decade by decade, Mm -hmm. but kind of starting with H.G. Wells. And then you sent an email saying, well, uh, hey, let's start in antiquity. Let's start with Gilgamesh, 2000 B.C. (laughs) Um and so what kind of what what were you thinking and why why were you wanting to to go back that far? Well, first of all, I like those old things. <laughs> and also I think uh the new stuff builds on them. You know, you can't you can't have uh you know, a a a <laughs> Boy. That's right. That's true. <laughs> You can't. you can't have, say, um, Rip Van Winkle. 
you know, where it's it's more of a fantasy piece, but it's it's time travel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have something like you know the 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 Book of Revelation, where you know someone is taken somewhere and there's a time element and something, and you know the the author says, hey, you know, I have a, I have an interesting story. It, it's not it's nothing, you know. World spanning or, or you know a universe ending like Revelation, but it's a fun little story, and it has sort of like those elements. So you know it it it's laying the groundwork for all these things. You know the uh, and and Kidu did the the Beast Man from uh, the Gilgamesh epic. Um, you know sort of sets the sets the pace for you know you Beowulf and sets the 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 whole cast for. You know, anytime you have this animalistic, atavistic man, um, you know, it, it goes back to Enkidu. And um, mm-hmm. showing that, going into the, you know, the, the decades that we're going to do, hopefully, as the series, um, I think will we'll give people the, good, the groundwork they need to work on, you know, yeah. the, the interesting predecessors of of the things that they know that maybe they don't know these these older versions of them so my my theory was you know here's an episode zero of the series and we're when we get into the you know the the other good meaty stuff of the things that you guys know you'll have all that basis you know the, the when i when i read these things to my kids yes i've read gilgamesh to my kids <laughs> because I want them to understand these older historical traditions of, you know, I mean, it, it has all these wonderful little elements that you can pick out and say, you know, things in Star Wars are based on this and things in, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings are based on this. And, and you can you can tease them out and say this is the first time in recorded history anyway that these things were – were thought up and, and regurgitated as stories to their children, you know. So I want those to have the sort of just lay the groundwork for the whole series. All right. So we're kind of talking about what's called proto-sci-fi or pre-sci-fi or early sci-fi. And we're going to stop at Frankenstein, which is the one I'm most excited to talk about. Unfortunately, the last one we're going to talk about. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, so – um, Dr. Jace, I'm just wondering what you're thinking here uh, with with this topic. Um, well, I'm kind of mixed about it. First of all, I'm you know grateful because a lot of my favorite stories are based on these predecessor um, tales. However, you know, obviously, I'm from a different generation. I don't find some of them as interesting as as others, but I do respect mm. the the roles that they they play in kind of the myth building that we kind of work with nowadays. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested. It's just, um, you know, again, I, I prefer more movies and TV, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll get into it and it'll be interesting when we get talking about story and all that. Um, I do wonder, is this, um, when when you were asked to read, say, Beowulf or Gilgamesh in English class, class and this is for both of you guys and for me too, but um, mm-hmm. how interested were you or was it just another, oh, English class, I have to do more reading? <laughs> <laughs> well, for um, me, 
um, you know, Beowulf was this really interesting piece of uh, early English that it, it was it was like this different language that just had the exact same name of the language that you speak. So, you know, for me, it, w- it was almost like, wh- how could this possibly be English? And seeing, you know, just like teasing out the words and, and, and trust finding it, finding out what all the different things meant. So in high school, they had you read it in Old English? Um, I think it was like an Old English on one side and in English English on the other side, <laughs> modern English. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was just this is this is how people read those things. I mean, there's letters that we don't even use anymore. You know, and for me, that was that was interesting. Finding out that you know there was a word, there was there was a letter called thorn, and a letter called yoch. You know, all these things that don't exist anymore, and and it's it's like it was like almost finding you know fossils or something. That, uh, actually, that's know. almost exactly what that's like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that and you know, also cleaning off your windshield after the <laughs> you're cleaning out your throat. <laughs> Yes. You know, we had a friend once who sneezed while she was driving and didn't know what to do. And we told her, well, turn on the windshield wipers. And she (laughs) She did. did. That poor, poor girl. That's bad. Yeah. It was high school, you know. So um, what about you, Dr. Jace? You're asked to read something in high school like like Beowulf or something. Are you excited because it's interesting and old or are you um, bored because it's boring and old? (laughs) Are you Um – well, I was never asked to read Beowulf in school. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, you have, wow. You have to understand, I had a very unique growing up period. If you had to understand, up until probably, I'd say, probably third or fourth grade, I couldn't read. So I could not read. And then well, by the time I got into my fifth grade, um, I finally got, and they started to realize that I was actually accelerated. The problem was I was moving around because I never went to the same school two full years in a row. I was always moving around. Wow. So from so from fifth grade to seventh grade, I got accelerated, and I actually ended up graduating at the age of thirteen from high school. So yes, wow. so I have a very different experience growing up than the average person as far as the things I read. I read more plays, so. When it comes to my classical, I would have read more of Shakespeare. I would have read more of, um, you know, I, I did read it more of kind of like the Odyssey and those types of things. Well, but we're I talking about Shakespeare today, so yeah, we will. Um, so I never read Beowulf. Wow. Yeah, because I went to a Christian high school, and Beowulf was front and center in in one of my my English classes. I mean, there was just um, we we took it in those chunks: world literature, English literature, American literature, and um, and Beowulf was part of that world literature. No, no, that was part of the English literature. Um, I, I think now, but I I, I I really was excited about that, and then it was like, oh, this is actually work to read, but it was <laughs> it, it was work that paid off. So, purely where my time is now, I'm very intentional about what. I, I put my time into so if I'm going to read something I want it, something I'm going to enjoy and I'm probably not going to enjoy the old English old style uh, to be honest with you I'm more interested in reading you know American folklore even like even Winnie the Pooh the, the old classic I like short stories 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a good mystery. I just I got another uh, mystery uh, compilation book, and I really hope to find time to to uh, read that. But I, you asked if I was interested in reading these old classics or how it was in school. I don't know what I would have thought about of it in school, but now they look good on the shelf. That's about it. <laughs> and that's the definition of a classic of literature book. Yeah. Everyone talks about but no one has read (laughs) except for some of us well yeah there is that that certain type of person but uh, okay so let's go ahead and get started then um one thing i noticed is that a lot of the the styles and genres of sci-fi were did start before science was really a part of what it was um there was i there's time travel like you said with Rip Van Winkle. There's Hollow Earth stories even before um, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost mm-hmm. World. Um, right. Space travel, but usually to the moon and sometimes by balloon. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of predicting the future and also utopias with that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the mad scientist motif. Right. And so we're we're talking kind of about sci-fi and fantasy, but a lot of what we're talking about are what people, like I said, consider proto-sci-fi. So, Steve, uh, we're starting at Gilgamesh. Is that where we're starting? Well, sure. You know, what I, what I think is interesting is I, I want to know, like, in another hundred years, how much of our current sci-fi will look back and go, it's like proto-sci-fi because it's not even real. <sighs> well, to see how that works out. Except when we get to the next episode, if we ever do the next episode, especially talking about Jules Verne, his science is bad. But we consider it sci-fi because he was extrapolating right. technology. Yeah. But I mean, oh, that happens. Man. I mean, C.S. Lewis sci-fi was bad. Yeah, but he knew it. You know? He knew. <laughs> he might have known it, but you know, back then you didn't know what was in space. You know, I, I was listening to a, a Superman episode from old time radio, and he's flying through space, but he's getting buffeted by the space winds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you, you didn't know. Well, but There's, there are solar waves. There, you could you. You could actually do a solar sail ship. That is possible. But it, it's catching it's not, the solar winds. It's not going to buffet you like, you know. No, not the little anyway. guy flying around <laughs> through space with very, very, very little uh, surface. Um, yeah. But anyway, okay. So are, is this where we're starting? Well, I actually, I'd like to take it one step beyond Gilgamesh because in Gilgamesh, we have something else there. That's part of the story that exists that you could technically call science fiction. Okay. And that is the existence of gods or deities. Okay, so that's mythology then. Mythology. I'm going to take just back to mythology and you, you have these beings that can do things that we can't do. And you're counting mythology as sci-fi? In uh, yes, well, if you count Gilgamesh as sci-fi, then well, we're going to talk yes. about that in a second. Yeah, wouldn't, but... <laughs> it be more, wouldn't it be more fantasy? See, uh, it, it it has elements of fantasy, but at the same time, it has also elements of um, sci-fi. It has elements of you know being in a, a different realm or dimension. It has uh, sometimes elements of time. You have uh, gods of time um, and space. You have gods of, of uh, uh, planetary bodies, heavenly bodies. Um, so you have these these beings existing. You know the the same way that uh, Thor is 
is sci-fi, you know? Uh, I think Thor now is sci-fi because it's aliens. But I think <laughs> what what I would say I'm half with you and half against you. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a house divided against itself. Um, because mythology definitely has the fantasy element of, you know, these, these adventures and these fantastic creatures and that kind of thing that don't exist in the real world and couldn't exist in the real world. But on the flip side of that, it's also trying to make sense of the world. And in a lot of ways, these myths and this, you know, these magical elements and things like that, um, you know, the, the turtle on the back of a turtle on the back of a turtle on the back of elephants or whatever, um, it was science in some ways. It was mm-hmm. the actual explanation for the world. Where does wind come from? You know, right. it comes from this guy up there with a bellow or whatever. And he's like, <laughs> he's like blowing it on us. And, um, and so I'm half with you there, Steve. And I wondered if you were going to go there. Um, yeah, it's, it's I didn't write it down myself, where, but I did wonder. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if people don't agree, then I understand. So <laughs> it's not that much of a big deal uh, if, if if people don't agree with me on that one. Well, I'm not going to die on that hill. What would you say? Let's make, it, let's make it a big deal. Okay. Steve, I am absolutely going to call you out on the mat about it. Is that All good? right. Is let's that good start enough? a Okay. <laughs> Um, that wasn't a very good, good big deal. Sorry. <laughs> right, so Gilgamesh, Steve, why do they consider Gilgamesh sci-fi? Because uh, I've seen it. I've seen people claim this is the first science fiction ever. I'm trying to remember. Well, very basically, um, you have a being coming from out of the earth into the earth. So when Enkidu shows up on Earth, it's something that is outside our realm that has been put here. It's, it's something literally from space that is, is now part of our reality. Okay, I found the quote. It's Lester Del Rey, mm-hmm. um, who's the guy behind Del Rey Publishing. Um, which was a big sci-fi publisher. And he said, um, science fiction is as old as the first recorded fiction. That is the epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the guy I was looking for. Um, although I, I look at Gilgamesh and say, well, on one hand, it's a kind of a quest. It's a quest for immortality. Right. Bill Beowulf doesn't want to die. Right. Right. Okay. And so there's that hand. But on the other hand, there's no real science stuff going on. It's just a lot of um, well, if exaggerated for, events. Yeah, but if you're looking for science in this science fiction, then no, mm-hmm. you're not going to find that much there. But the thing is you find science fiction elements right. in it. And those, those science fiction elements are in the exaggerated events. You have the flood. Yeah. So you you would, have the you battles. Would, you wouldn't consider it more fantasy than sci-fi then? I would, yes, but I would I would also consider it partial elements of sci-fi in there. This is a the this is the root here. Yeah. We're tracing back the root. This is probably the lowest point of the root as far as reaching down into the soil. And this root is tangled up 
very, very much with a larger root of fantasy. It's more fantasy than sci-fi, quite obviously, since science really wasn't a thing people were pursuing a lot back then. You know, mm-hmm. the oldest recorded scientist in history is um, Amotep in Egypt. And, you know, basically he's from around the time of Moses or maybe even a little before then. Abraham um, around that time. But he was a he was still a priest, you know. He was yeah. just a priest who was interested in geometry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so he was a scientist and so there's the science involved there. But, um, you know, Beowulf is from before then, I believe. No, yeah. not Beowulf. We're talking about Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh was before that. Yeah, that's right. We're talking 2,000 years B.C. Yeah, Gilgamesh. probably a little bit earlier than that too. So this is – we're, we're tracing the route back. And that's, that's the thing, Dr. Jace, for a lot of these, it's, it, that's what it's going to be. Is yeah. There's, scientific, sort of like when there's science fiction elements without the science. Yeah. It's sort of like when, you, when you're looking for you know, the, the first rock and roll song. You know, you go back to the 50s, but then you realize that in the 40s, there were some songs that were very, you know, rock and rolly, and they actually had the words rock and roll in it. And then in the 30s, you can say to yourself, well, there are some, you know, there's blues songs, but they really had this different sense to it. You know, and then you, you go back even to the 20s, and you're like, yeah, you can even sense that some of these songs have parts in them that have that, this, this rock and roll vibe but it, that we can see from, from our viewpoint. But would you call them a rock and roll song? No. But you want to keep them in the lineage because they had something to do with the the structure and the form that became known as rock and roll. So this is you know this is early early. We're looking at we're we're looking for uh, themes, and we're looking for you know things that that are are have been reproduced in science fiction since then, and. A lot of times, these are the base. The, the fantasy is the basis for those things. So, Gilgamesh. Anything more to say about Gilgamesh, Steve? Oh, lots and lots and lots. Well, yeah, there's but. a lot to say about. Gil- <laughs> we could actually do a whole episode about Gilgamesh. Yeah. The themes in Gil- Gilgamesh. There's some interesting stuff in there. Right. Um, but anything more as far as it being, you know, one of the first written, quote unquote, possible proto maybe sci-fi. <laughs> I think we can we can take the next step now. Okay, so the next step for me, I'm moving up to the year 200. No, well, maybe around the second century. Okay. And this is a book that I've tried to read two, maybe three times, and I get like three lines into it, and I just give up. I just give up. It was written in Greek. And mm-hmm. I guess I just haven't found a very good translation of it. <laughs> but it's called True History. Okay. And it was written by Lucian. All right. And this mm-hmm. – I want to read this so bad because this is the first ever space opera. There are aliens. They fly into outer space. They do battle in ships and stuff like that. Um, and this one is another one that's been called the first ever science fiction. But – it's well, definitely it the first ever. <laughs> I don't know. It's, but it's definitely the first ever space opera. I really wish I could read it. I just can't. <laughs> well, there's got to be, I mean, there's got to be good versions of it, right? I have yet to, to find one, and I do not want to take the time to write one. So, 
So I'm going to throw this out there, but I'm really not familiar with it other than in people's lists. I'm like, oh, that looks so interesting. Oh, he's on this list too. I should give it a try. Ugh, this stinks. (laughs) The work is definitely not worth the payoff for me right now. Wow. Again, Dr. Jace, I could go and watch Star Wars. (laughs) I can watch X-Wings and TIE Fighters fighting each other. It's far more easy and interesting than... I don't even know, you know, I, I hear people say it's got space battles and stuff in it. I don't even know what they are. You know, <laughs> I don't know what they're flying around in or on. It could be butterflies. Yeah, it could be. You know, <laughs> actually might be kind of cool. But, you know, I could watch Mothra instead. So that's our little detour into that book that I've never read. But you're, you're skipping over um, the Homer's stuff, the Odyssey. The I am idea. skipping over Homer's stuff. Because I don't, I wouldn't consider that. Okay. Um, do you? Not as much as Gilgamesh, but it, again, it does. You know, it, it involves the gods and it, it involves um, things that we we do see replicated in later science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's, it's it's so much fantasy. That to put it into the 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 realm of of science fiction, I think mentioning it is just about all it it deserves. <laughs> Can I throw something in here with you though on this? Sure. And that is that um, Ilium and Olympus, they are two novels written by Dan Simmons mm-hmm. that use the Iliad and the Odyssey as a background for some of the crazy sci-fi stuff that he's got going on. Aha. Uh-huh. So, is that the Hyperion series? No, this is actually not related to the Hyperion series. But um, same author. It's same author, but you have Hyperion, Fall of Hyperion, Oh, Endemion, and Rise of Endemion. I think that's the four books in the Hyperion series. But the this is a two book series: okay. Ilium and Olympus. Olympus. And yeah, so just to go along with you. Here's someone who wrote a sci-fi novel or two <laughs> sci-fi novels um, using a lot of elements from there. So, um, Okay, so where where do we go from here then? I have us going to Arabian Nights. Uh, we could go to Arabian Nights. Um, where are you going to go? Where would you want us to go? Because uh, Arabian sorta, Nights is around uh, what seven hundred, eight hundred. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm looking it up right now. Not sure exactly. Um, I mean, I, I sort of want to go to Ovid's Metamorphoses. Oh, but that's before then. I know that's way before then. All right, well, go um, go for it. Well, it's you know, it's <laughs> it's 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 another one of those things where it's more fantasy. Um, you know, it, it has a lot of it, – it's myths. It's basically a book of myths. Right, because uh-huh. that's um, the book of myths that I used to read, Bullfinch. And was it Edith Hamilton? And there's another – there's a third one that I had. But they were always referencing Ovid. Okay. As, yeah. as um, a reference for the – especially I think Bullfinch, Bullfinch's mythology. Yeah. Which is a great book of mythology, great presentation of mythology. Yeah. But uh, and I mean, it, it goes into a lot of uh, mythical stuff, which again, 
lends itself sometimes to the science fiction, science fiction-y themes and memes. So I think maybe a mention and then right on to, uh, <laughs> <Move on too. laughs> either Arabian Nights or, or Beowulf, which is probably right around the same um, era. Beowulf. Beowulf around 800, I think. I think it is around the same time. Um, Arabian Nights, that just has a lot of the, you know, has demons and mermaids and those kind of things. But then also has um, some, like, robot-type things. Okay. And marionettes and, and um, but they're, like, these robot things that have, I think they have, like, gears and they move around. You know, they're, they're automata or whatever. Automata. But, um, automata. Automata. Uh, I like automata. <laughs> well, it's an automaton. Otom. Otom. Uh, okay. So, Doctor Jace, does this does this hit your radar at all? Arabian, Arabian Nights. <laughs> Arabian Nights. Yeah. No, I like Arabian Nights. I, I own it, and I uh, I that's um, no, it's not on my favorite list, but I, I mean it's fine. Uh, where to next for you, Steve? Then do you want to go to Beowulf now? Uh, well, I I don't have much to say about Arabian Nights. I just <laughs> no. I mean, where there's, there's uh, stuff from other except mythological... except for the song, except for the song Arabian Nights. Yeah. Arabian Nights. Yeah. Arabian Days. That was worth the whole the whole the whole. A episode. fool off his guard could fall and fall hard. In thousands of ways. <laughs> I think that's right. But anyway, um, <laughs> but there's uh, there's like Hindu stuff where it has flying machines and um, <laughs> you know uh, mechanisms, you know robotic type things, things like that. Referenced um, in Chariots of the Gods. There you go. They right. they call that out as yep. these are things that you couldn't know unless they were aliens. Yeah, and describing alien ships and that kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, there's uh, the story of, of one king who goes to their version of heaven or whatever that to to meet the, their creator, the the creator deity, and when he returns, uh, you know, hundreds of years have passed or something like that. So it's a time travel type of thing. Um, so you know, again, you're seeing more elements being pulled out of, you know, probably literature that doesn't even survive now. Um, but you're seeing, you know, remnants of it in this, in the stuff that's coming up. And, uh, you know, then, I mean, you, you, from Aristophanes, you know, the birds, uh, and what's the other one, the clouds, um, where he's, you know, it, it's a, a, you know, otherworldly, it, it's, it's almost, uh, it, it, it's more of just pulling stuff out of what is going to be the the bag of tricks that science fiction is is going to present us with. So you know it's it's filling it it's filling it in. So you're you're putting in these. You know, now you have time travel. Now you have uh, you know uh, robotic things, or whatever. Now you have uh, other worlds. Now you have flying machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know these stories probably weren't 
you know, I haven't really read them, but they, I don't think they were built around those. I think these were just things to make the story, uh, you know, go and move. They were you know, deus ex machinas or, or things like that. Just you know, things that, hey, just take this as, as a given and now we can tell the rest of the story. Hey, you might want to explain what that is because the average listener might not realize what, what you're talking about. What, Deus, Deus Ex Machina? Yes. Uh, it's a literary term meaning uh, God out of the machines. God machine. of the machines, yeah. Yeah, um, which was a literary construct back in Greek plays, and things would be happening, and then at the end of the play, a god would come down and resolve it. And after... And they, go ahead. That, that term is now used basically... In all stories where somebody out of the blue saves someone else, and it often in modern audiences doesn't ring true. Like right. for instance, one of the things when I watched the movie, I believe it was The Four Feathers. I believe Heath Ledger was in it. I kept getting annoyed because there'd always be dangers, and then all of a sudden, this one guy would come out and save everybody. Every time there was tension, he'd come out and save, <laughs> save people. Was like that doesn't make any sense. So whenever yeah. there's a, a story convention, um. God in the machines. It, it's this device. It's kind of like, you know, we're all we're all fighting and they're 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 cornered and then all of a sudden the cavalry shows up. They never knew the cavalry was in, in that region, yeah. so how'd they just show up? <laughs> right. And what makes it different from like Gandalf showing up is that they're waiting for Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, and that's set up. It's so that's that's, that's that's foreshadowed. Yeah. That's foreshadowed. Right. And and back. I mean, honestly. I'm not putting them down. This is not chronological elitism or anything like that. <laughs> but older, especially in the antiquities, you know, storytelling, they would have – it just wasn't as sophisticated. The storytelling wasn't as sophisticated and, and plot was not uh, quite as as important, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they, what was important was emotion and character and, and kind of truth. Um, I, I do think my understanding is isn't the the God of the Machine part come from Steve as you were saying when they lowered the God down they were like using um, like pulleys and stuff mm-hmm. to do it yep. and so that's what the machine was the machine was the right. off stage uh, device used to bring in that right. character to come and just take care of everything <laughs> right and I guess back then they knew how to do that well and so it wouldn't offend you know the the sensibilities of the of the viewer I, but, I don't think it was that they did it well necessarily so much as it was just accepted yeah it was an acceptable plot device right. yeah but it was it, normal it, it, it was it was you know because back then i mean we say back then things change you know every so often but you know people would just wear masks and you would automatically know what they're supposed to be the whole theatrical experience is completely different comedies always ended happy tragedies always ended sad and that was the way it was mm-hmm. yeah but uh, the nowadays i mean it, it would it would be sort of like deus ex machina nowadays would sort of be like if you had you know a a, a, a flash comic book and you know Flash is trying to fight the bad guy, and, and Flash is, is almost succeeding, but not really. And then in the last page, Superman comes by and, and defeats the bad guy, gives gives a wink, and Flash is, is saved, and, and then Superman flies away. 
And then you're reading the you know Wonder Woman comic book, and Wonder Woman's trying to you know fighting the the cheetah or something, you know, and, and and failing and, and not being able. To, and then in the last page, Superman comes in and and defeats you know the, whoever it is, and then flies away. And then you know you're reading a Robin comic book, and same thing. And you you're sort of like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know what, though, you know, Steve? It, what, it, here's the thing. That's an acceptable universe if you take Superman to his extreme. And so that's where I think, you know, it was acceptable for their storytelling because, hey, of course Zeus is going to show up. Right. Why wouldn't he? Right. But- <laughs> in fact, if he doesn't show up, there's a problem in the story. <laughs> right. But nowadays, it, it's offensive to us because we want to see Flash defeat the, the villain and then move on. Right. And if it's not set well, up I- at all to have Superman in it. You know, he's not mentioned at all. There's no foreshadowing. There's no indication that he's going to be there. Then it's sort of like it's a cheat. The reader just feels cheated. cheated. Yeah, because you feel cheated because, oh, this came. It's like we would consider it bad writing. Right. You know, like they just they didn't have an ending. So they just kind of created kind of like, um, you know, in a way, if you look at. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you're kind of expecting that you're going in a specific direction and then it just kind of ends. Now, their reason was not poor writing. It was poor funding because they have no money. But, <laughs> but the other thing is it totally fit the movie. Right. <laughs> totally. I mean, it, you know, when, when you know the story behind it, it's interesting. But if you're watching the movie and don't know that, you're going with them because it's Monty Python and it's absurdist comedies. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the point. They could have brought in blue fairies that look like pigs and we would have believed it because of the Ex- type of Except for budget. story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They didn't have the budget for that. <laughs> um, yeah, they could have done a little drawing. That's the reason why they had those little drawings. Yeah. Well, they, had to, they had to save money on the budget, so they just created these little drawings that didn't do anything. Well, they yeah. got lucky there, too, because they had Terry Gilliam already working with them. And it's like, hey – We've already got this guy who does these, you know, we, we can have God come and our special effects budget is not even bothered by it because it's just Terry Gilliam's drawing. It's one of those <laughs> things where if, if you could write a book on how not to make a movie, they did it and we were still successful. <laughs> In fact, I have it right here within hand's reach of my, my desk. Nice. Um, I, I do want to throw in one thing, though. One thing with modern storytelling is. Steve, your Flash example, what would make it work is that if the last page was just Flash, you know, just really down on himself because he couldn't win and Superman had to come. Oh, right. That's the kind of thing we want is plot and character development. Right. And with with the antiquities, you know, and by saying that, I'm talking about like literally everyone from before like 1800. So uh, the, the storytelling just wasn't as sophisticated in that realm right um, but again that you do run the risk of chronological elitism saying we're better than them because we've had more time to study story yeah. when yeah. it was perfectly acceptable back then right it's just um, different and you know I've, I've, I've heard this uh you know in different told in different ways but sometimes people will say you know what's the best year for you know science fiction or was the best uh, you know whatever and you know the best year for comic books or the best year for, yeah that's right. that's that upcoming episode right exactly watch for the it thing everyone is, the thing is the best year for any of this stuff you know the best 
uh, science fiction or whatever is the one that made it real to you. You know, it's the one that put it over uh, before. Um, I'm trying to think of a good you know, analogy. But before I got into comic books, comic books were stupid. You know, and I, I vividly remember uh, a couple of guys talking about comic books in my high school. And I'm like, Thor, really? You're reading a Thor comic book? And I, was, I, I mocked it. And then a couple of months later, I'm entrenched in Thor 337. You know, Beta Ray Bill. And the fact that you remember that scares me. It it scares me, but the thing is, that's because that's when it, it became something to me instead of something ridiculous. And if these stories started hitting you as Star Wars, is that if if that's your entry, then you know that's that's the best movie, that's the best book, that's the best whatever. However, it was introduced to you. If it was, you know, a thousand one nights, that's the best one. You know, it's which one made it real for you? Which one put it over? I think for that's. You? I think that's why a lot of people who grew up in a in a Christian home, why C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia are so revered because for many, that was their entry point into sci-fi fantasy in general. Um, it wasn't for me, but I, I think that's why a lot of people, because that's their entry point for most of them. Yeah, right. I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've barely cracked. We went. We we we, we are in Arabian Nights, so we, we're not even past the, the year one thousand. So, <laughs> although my list skips ahead to, to around fifteen hundred. So, what, what do you got next year, Steve? That you'd like us to kind of touch on and, and look at as far as this kind of history of sci-fi? Well, have we done Beowulf as much as it needs to be done? Well, we haven't even we didn't even touch Beowulf, did we? So, there we go. Okay, so Beowulf, what, what I mean, it's a classic story. Yeah. It's a super adventure. Right. And I love I mean, it's Vikings and it's um because it was uh Christian monks who mm-hmm. recorded it. It actually has Christian elements in it. Yeah. Uh which is kind of cool to me, although I do I am curious what it was like before the Christian monks um, recorded it. Uh, I want to keep keep this in mind, though. Without them, we wouldn't have the story at all. Right. So you, you have the choice of not having Beowulf at all or having it kind of Christianized by these monks who recorded it but mm-hmm. um, and saved it from fires and stuff. Yeah. I think there was a – is that right? There's a story of a fire in a library and Beowulf was one of the manuscripts that was – like that they got out of the fire – yeah, I'm not sure about particulars, but you know, I mean, it just it just survived. It was it was preserved by yeah. Christian monks originally. So, and you you can have the attitude of you know they probably took something and, and polished it up and and you know put the the Christian seal of approval on it, or it could have been that way. I doubt it. I, I really what? doubt it. The, I, there's I, a lot there's a lot of doubt to be had, but the thing is, it could have. It could have been. Well, why do you doubt it, Ben? <laughs> I doubt that they. Um, because that's just not the way that they did things. Um, I I think that as they were listening to the story, they were giving their own. First of all, putting it in their own language, giving it, a, you know, pulling out their themes in there. And What's Beowulf's origin? It's it's one of the earliest recorded English <laughs> epics, but it came Scandinavia. Scandinavia, yeah. yeah. So one way that you could identify if the Christian monks tweaked it or not 
is at that time was there any Christian influence in Scandinavia? Well, yeah, was that's that, any- that's who they were given the story orally. The, these these Christian monks, the missionaries, were given the story orally and chose to write it down, and they wrote it in English when they wrote it down. Um, and the story is about people in Denmark and Vikings and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it was, um, like I said, I mean, it was, it was written in Old English, and it's the is it the oldest or one of the oldest surviving complete epic poems in the English language. So, um, yeah, I yeah. I believe that it was tampered with, and, and there's there's a lot and of, not in uh, a bad way. I, I like I said, I appreciate it as as a modern Christian reader. I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, that's but there's, that's there's a that's lot my of, belief. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um you know fingerprints on it that you can sort of trace back to that. But the thing is, it could have been just great normal hey christians came up with this and it's about a christian you know guy and stuff like that it could have been so you know there's there's the two things it, whichever way it turns out it's not gospel it's not scripture so it's that's fine but um you have this basically he's he's a superman and when you have someone like that i think that that puts it into the realm of uh science fiction you know, you don't have a lot of supermen in uh, in fantasy outside of you know oh. e- exemplary races and things like that. And here's someone who is raised up alongside of other normal people that you would have known, except he's a superman. So that's sort of why I would consider it science fiction. Okay, so where do you want to go to next then? Now that we're done with with Beowulf. Again, still haven't cracked a thousand. So, <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, Dante is is past a thousand, right? I believe so. And 13. are you including Dante because of? Um, uh, I think it's Paradiso, where they yeah. go to planets. They go to planets. Yeah. So, so um, you have you have that. <laughs> I mean that's 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 science fiction. I mean it, it's obviously it's eschatological, um, you know, daydreams or whatever <laughs> that he had. Yeah, but it would have still been based on their celestial model uh, of of the universe and like right. you know, there. Yeah, I, I think that I, I don't think it's a stretch to include. To include uh, Dante. Well, good. Or maybe it's not too much of a stretch. Dr. You know, if these were stretchy you? pants, they're <laughs> going to go on and they're going to be okay and they're not going to rip. Nice. But they're at the edge of that stretchiness. So. You asked me about Dante? Yes. Yeah. You know, I got to see where Dante's buried. Yeah. Cool. What? That's pretty much my experience. No, I actually did read. I, I read Dante's Inferno. Yeah, um, but I don't remember much of it. I, I did read that one in high school, but I remember that merely because I go, oh, when I saw his grave, oh, he wrote that that one book about hell or whatever it was. Right. Mm-hmm. But the one I, I read a book called Gehenna, which I remember much more clearly than Dante's Inferno. 
Was um, that an older book or is that a modern book? I, I, I actually don't know. I, I think that it had different levels of hell in it and it was pretty interesting. I still have okay. some vivid memories of, I don't remember who wrote it, but of the two, I, I remember Gehenna more clearly than Dante's. All right. Well, what makes Dante interesting, the the Paradiso anyway, is that he goes in, in this music of the spheres type of idea where each of the um, each of the planets are are you know I think they're like embedded in the sphere, and that's mm-hmm. why that's what carries it around the the earth or whatever. And so um, I mean, like I said, this is him taking the celestial model of the time, which by the way, read C.S. Lewis's um, oh, what is the name of that book? Uh, where he like d- details the the model of of that. Oh, that's gonna. Oh, I love that book. I've read it like four or five <laughs> times. Now I can't even remember the title. <laughs> I feel like an idiot now. That's that's interesting, Ben. You read books four or five times. Yeah, yeah. Why I don't read I? fiction that many. I because I, I get this bored. is not fiction. This is not fiction. Well, what are you just what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about his book. Um, again, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find it. It's not on my shelf. Now I feel like a fool. We'll just look up bibliography. C.S. Lewis. Here we go. I'll go. I love preface to paradise lost. Great book, by the way, but not the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, discarded image, the discarded image. Oh. Okay. That is it's the subtitle is introduction to medieval and Renaissance literature. And it explains the cosmological um, model and viewpoint of the people who were writing in medieval and Renaissance times, and explains like what they believed was outside of the earth. Explains, um, you know, the mu- the idea of the music of the spheres. Um, it's a great, very very interesting book, which is why I've read it multiple multiple times since I bought it when I was in- on choir tour in college. So. Huh. Yes. Okay. Good enough. I <laughs> we have taken another rabbit trail, so let's move back to our <laughs> our topic of the day. Next up, we have what, Steve? What do you got for us? Well, I think we would be moving into the uh, age of enlightenment. Yes. <laughs> or the age of um, reason, which is yeah. Here's for, for, for better wanna, or for worse. You want to hear my alliterative description of the Age of Enlightenment? Sure. Ready? It's reason reforming against religion. There you go. How's that sound? <laughs> um, seems like there's another R I could throw in there, but I can't remember it now. But um, yeah, I mean, this is where, of course, we're skipping over a whole bunch of stuff, maybe, because um, they don't know. There's no right date that they put on the time that it starts. But right. okay, so we're, we so we skipped over Thomas More and his Utopia, uh, which which I did read. Yeah, okay. I mean it, it, it's important because there are utopias and dystopias in science fiction. You know, uh, from then on, it's sociological. <clears throat> rather, it's not right. technological, but it's sociological extrapolation, mm-hmm. and what what will work in the future and. Um, not that he's doing a time travel story, but like this is. Yeah, I, I kept waiting for the space battle to happen. <laughs> well, no, for that one you have to go to True Histories. Yeah, uh, the most boring space opera ever <laughs> written. 
We should uh, do that as an audio play. That would be great. <laughs> it would just be if if I'm part of that, I'm just reading words. I have no just, idea what I'm actually saying. We could punch it. But, now I have I have a I have a quest. That's what I'm going to be doing. Okay. Um, so, and then we we're skipping Faust, uh, which is some people. I mean, we're skipping the myth of Faust here. Well, it's a mad scientist type thing. It so is. It's the could, first mad scientist. Yeah. So you know we don't have to skip it. But we but you did just just put it into the bag. Yeah. And then the, there's the tempest. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I knew we were going to get there. Sixteen ten. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, another prototypical mad scientist type character. In, in fact, you have um, many believe that the Tempest is Shakespeare's greatest work and perhaps the greatest work of all time. I, I could understand people saying that. I disagree. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do too. Um, I believe one of- <laughs> King Lear is, but we're not going to go there right now. That's for yeah. our Shakespeare episode. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that, man. Maybe not. Um, but yeah, with, with the Tempest, in fact um, – some people believe it is more sci-fi and that um, Caliban mm-hmm. is actually a yeah. created being. Right, yeah. Um, you know, speaking of created Maybe. beings, we also forgot Gollum. Not Gollum, but the Gollum, G-O-L-E-M. A Gollum, yes. Gollum. Am I saying I say it wrong? Gollum. Gollum. I say Gollum instead of Gollum because you say Gollum, people think of Gollum. You say <laughs> Gollum. I say no, Gollum. Gollum. But you, do you want to explain what a golem is? A golem is yeah, Jewish. Uh, Jewish. Uh, um, go ahead. Uh, just uh, it's a Jewish um, myth of yeah. you take the the word for the the symbol for life and either put it on his forehead or put it on his tongue, and yeah. it brings to life a statue. And so you right, have yeah. the automata, automata, automata. Um, and then if you erase part of that symbol, I believe it becomes the symbol for death or something right. like that. And then it like, stops walking around. Yeah. And so, so it is pretty, kind of – It's a pretty interesting myth. I love the myth. I would love to write yeah. something with that myth except I don't want to make it seem uh, ex- exploitative of, right. of uh, another person's culture basically. Right. Yeah. Well, The Simpsons did a – I think it was one of the Treehouse of Terrors that had a golem in it. Um, and it was, it was interesting. <laughs> it didn't really, it didn't really, you know, make fun of the, the Jewishness part of it or anything like that. But it, it was, you know, the passable use of that, the, of that meme. So, uh, people, our, our listeners may be familiar with that one. I'm not sure. Um, okay. And then the other one that we've kind of skipped over, although it might still be, this might have been written during the Age of Enlightenment, depending on where you believe it started. Um, I just went with 1700 because it's nice and easy and in the middle of what everyone else says. <laughs> um, but uh, that's Pilgrim's Progress, 1678. Now, sci-fi? Right. No. I would say it's not. Um, but we're about sci-fi and fantasy, and you want to talk about you know some of those early roots of fantasy, Pilgrim's Progress is a huge giant in the landscape mm-hmm. uh, as I <laughs> totally mix up my metaphors here. <laughs> a huge giant in the roots of the landscape <laughs> of the timeline. Like the universe yeah. that exists within in the, sphere the galaxy of, the universe, yeah. of... So Pilgrim's Progress, you guys have anything to say about that? Uh, not science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> We're okay, sci-fi fantasy. 
No, I would, I'd agree it's not science fiction. Yeah, but I mean if you're going to do that, then we're going to talk about all the myths. And we're we already did talk about all the myths. Yeah, you brought them up, remember? I did, yeah. <laughs> so I will say this though. The model that this book and the style that it's written in um, – you know, um, it's it was used a lot by other writers who came behind, mm-hmm. and it's referenced in a lot of different things. Um, Slaughterhouse Five, Billy Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a reference to Pilgrim's Progress, and yeah, just wanted to take that little uh, jaunt over the side there. So, Age of Enlightenment. Where you want to go to first, then, Steve? Because um, I only have two things on my list after the Age of Enlightenment. There's lots mm-hmm. that could be involved, but I only have two things. Well. Um, both Isaac Asimov and Carl Sagan have referred to a book uh, by Johannes or Johannes Kepler uh, called Somnium, which is the dream, um, as the first work of science fiction. So when you have Asimov and Sagan saying that something is the first work in something that they know a little bit about, uh, you know, you might want to. Uh, at least take a look at it. So, <laughs> um, basically, um, you have uh, Johannes Kepler. Is he the Kepler scientist guy? I believe so. Yeah, Johannes Kepler, the, uh, the, German mathematician, astronomer, astrologer. Okay, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know he wrote a novel. Uh, yeah, fantasy novel. It's sixteen hundred eight. And uh, it wasn't published until, I guess, hmm. maybe he died. Uh, I'm not sure when he died, but it was 1634. Um, uh, it's a, a boy and his mother learn of an island, which is really the moon, and uh, from a demon. And uh, it has their imaginative description of how uh, what Earth looks like from the moon. And... Um, and so there you have it. <laughs> All right. So I looked that up because I thought that was really interesting. And now I'm looking at The Man in the Moon, which was written by a guy named Francis Godwin. And apparently he used Johannes Kepler Kepler's uh, theories in his mm-hmm. book. Um, and, of course, I'm on Wikipedia looking at The Man in the Moon with an E at the end of moon because, you know, we're still – we're, taught, we're, we're in the 1600s here. Um, first, first English language science fiction book. That's what uh-huh. they say on Wikipedia. And you know, if Wikipedia says it, it must be true. Otherwise, the sci-fi Christian wouldn't use it so yeah. much. Right. Yeah. Just so you know, I never let my, my students cite Wikipedia for a reason. Good for you. <laughs> um Okay, so I go here in the Age of Enlightenment to Gulliver's Travels in 1726. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Gulliver's Travels has a lot of tropes in it. A lot, a lot, a lot of sci-fi tropes. Um, wouldn't you say a lot of a lot of things came out of that? Oh, absolutely. Tons, yeah. Don't you think absolutely. that a lot of different versions have copied <laughs> sure. uh, Gulliver's Travels? Yeah. Well... Totally. I mean, you have these ideas of floating cities, you have giants, you have tiny people, you have talking yeah. animals. Um, I mean, it, it's it's an adventure story, 
which is mm-hmm. another thing that you know finally around this time we're getting into where it's it's more you know we're we're telling an adventure not trying to make a point necessarily although he actually is making a lot of points he's it's a satire mm-hmm. as well yeah but that's again another thing sci-fi does is you're using sci-fi to tell have an adventure tale that explains um, society somewhat too current society yeah. so a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah yeah you know so except not boring <laughs> wait 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 you're saying hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is boring yes oh you're talking about the movie what? yes you're not talking about the book no. no, I'm talking about the movie. The movie was, it, even though it has, um, um, oh, what's her name? Yeah, it has her in it. But yeah, I'll give uh, it to you. It's it's not a great version of that uh, of that story, but there are so many other great versions of that story. the The original movie, the uh, the the or the miniseries that um, that BBC put out, um, the the audio series, the actual book. Um, there's so many different versions of it. So, I mean, if you didn't like the movie, go find one that you do like because there's, you know, like 10 different versions yeah. of it. I, they, yeah, they, I, I, I'm sorry, but the last time you told me that BBC was doing something, it was the Lord of the Rings or the, and, or the C.S. Lewis ones. And I, I, I don't think those are done very well either. So I don't, I'm not going to jump on those. Yeah. Well, they also did Doctor Who. Yeah, well, yeah, that's know. true. I, I'm sold on Doctor Who, and uh, actually, I've seen, and, and Sherlock, and Primeval, and they've done some other really cool ones too. So, so you can't just discount something from the BBC because well, something me, else well, from the BBC wasn't you, done well. Well, let me ask you: When was it? When did the BBC do that? Oh, you want my honest thoughts here, Doctor Jace? You're not. Yeah, bad, you're not it? going to like the TV series yeah. that they did, because yeah. uh, it's it's um, around the end of the first run of Doctor Who. So we're talking in the '80s there, um, mm. and it's got the sci-fi ideas. It's got the humor, but it's really dry humor. I love it. Yeah. Um, I and I like the movie too. Um, it's not as good. Uh, the movie is not as good as the TV series. TV series is not as good as the book. And in a lot of ways, the book is not as good as the radio drama, yeah. but that's you know you're starting from a really high point for me though. With the radio drama, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's really really good. Books, I should say, and then yeah. you're getting into the TV series, pretty good, and the movie, it's pretty okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we just went on another <laughs> rabbit trail. Nice, but yeah, well, satire. We were going into satire. that's true. That's true. It's so, so not too know, bad off off topic, but yeah. And you're, that's that's one of the the things that it's it's interesting because they're using these memes and themes to to do what they want, which is actually satire. But they're using you know our stuff to do it, and people still right. do it to this day. When when you have you know even bad science fiction movies, a lot of times it's because the person is just using that that trope. To tell the story that they want. Yeah, yeah. He started with the satire. Yeah. And it came, you know, be, the satire became sci-fi in some ways. Right. Yeah. So. Because in, in, in some, in some, at some point, you have to, in a satire, make things ridiculous. And you can do that by gross exaggeration. And what else besides fantasy and science fiction... Can you really do that with a straight face? Yeah. 
Well, and I would say Gulliver's Travel, uh, your phrase right there, Steve, that's a really, really, really good apt description. Gross exaggeration. Yeah. That's a great description for for Gulliver's Travel, the book. Yes. As far as – because wasn't there a movie with uh, – uh, yeah, Jack, Jack, Black. Jack Black. Yeah. I haven't seen is, it. Yeah. The thing I is, when, when you're making these movies, if you're – if you're not doing it with the same tongue-in-cheek satire type thing, it's just going to come off as like a, a bad comedy, you know? Which makes so. me want to see Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black. <laughs> Is it just bad comedy? So uh, right from Gulliver's time, Travels, where are you going to go next? Because I am – from here I go straight to the end of our, <laughs> of our timeline. So, Well, I just want to touch on a couple of, of things that are happening around this time that are putting more stuff into that bag. Okay. And uh, we've already talked about the mad scientist stuff. Um, we're getting stuff with uh, lost worlds or hollow earths and things lost like that. Lost worlds being um, islands that have been cut off from the rest of the world and having um, cavemen or right, dinosaurs yeah. or cavemen and dinosaurs uh, and being a part of the, the Age of Enlightenment, a part of the Age of Reason. Uh, you know, this is where they're making discoveries from you know, archaeology. And kind of saying, okay, well, what can we do with the these thunder lizards? These are cool, mm-hmm. you know. Well, they make for some good adventure stories. <laughs> um, yeah, and and hollow earth stories where people go to the North Pole or South Pole and then find a hole that they can climb into, and all of a sudden they find, you know, the uh, this is where all the dinosaurs went, or this is where all the you know the things from the past went, and you know that it's it it is a recurring theme uh, in science fiction from then on. Yeah, one that we're going to talk about in our next episode of the series if we get to it, especially mm-hmm. with with Jules Verne. So, yeah. All right. Well, are you ready then to talk about our final topic of the day? I. I think so, yeah. Let's do it. Because <laughs> I believe this is truly the first science fiction novel. And that okay. is Mary Shelley's 1918 Frankenstein. Now, there may have been someone before her. There may have been someone doing something before her that is sci-fi in the way that this is sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But this is Mary Shelley taking an idea from – Actual people trying to do stuff where they're trying to apply electricity, which is a fairly new thing, being able to control electricity at her time, um, and trying to apply that to you know reanimate flesh. Mm-hmm. And you know they this is where they had this. Um, she and um, it would have been Keats and Shelley and I don't remember who else was with them, but um, they were telling ghost stories one night, and um, this was the result of her ghost story. And mm-hmm. she wrote this book, Frankenstein, or the subtitle, A Modern Day Prometheus. Yeah. Um, so she's drawing on mythology for theme, but she is telling the story of a scientist who has gone beyond what ma- mortal man should do. But it's science. It's not magicians. It's not magic. It's science. And he's using science, and she's extrapolating from things that she has heard and seen in that area and in that time. So right. I believe, and I will firmly say this until someone is able to say 
well, actually, there's this guy over here who, um, because this is not a balloon to the moon. All right, people wrote right. stories about balloons to the moon. I don't call that, but this this is definitely realistic science of the time, and extrapolating from that science, what can you do with it, and what does it mean, and how does it explore humanity, not just explore our rock in space. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Frankenstein, read it. That's another thing. Of all these other things that we've talked about, I would say maybe look it up on Wikipedia and see what happens. But Frankenstein, if you've not read it, it is a worthy novel to read. Yeah, you can read it. You know, it's <laughs> it's actually in uh, English that you understand. Yeah. And I mean I think there's actually I haven't read it in a while, but I think there's actually one place like halfway through the book, and it's not a very big book. But I think there's one one chapter where if you started at that chapter, like that chapter retells the entire story up until that point and then kicks off from there. So I'm trying to – it would be interesting to find that chapter and then like read it just from there and see yeah. if it actually makes full sense. But um, This is know, another book gives, I've read three times though. Yeah? Maybe four. Wow. Um, you know, I believe a good book is worth revisiting. And mm -hmm. there are certain books that I've read, you know, in like every period of my life. And so Frankenstein is one that I read in college and I read after college and I read, um, I, see, I, after I, college, I, I read it like at the beginning of my marriage, but then I also read it just like a, a year or two ago. It's very rare for me to read a book twice. I mean, nonfiction, I do it all the time because I usually read them with highlighters and pen and pencils and I go right. back to them all the time. However, when it comes to fiction, it's hard for me to watch a TV show or a movie twice. I don't, if I watch it more than once, then I have to really, really like it. And I can only, I could probably count on my hands the books that I would voluntarily read fiction over if I've already read it again. And you guys could probably guess what they were. Um... No, <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't. I'm sorry. I, let me think. No, uh, this is this is gonna make for really boring TV. So go ahead and tell us. Otherwise, it's gonna be me thinking. Um, no, no. Yeah. Well, come on. There's one obvious guess. If I mean, think about it. Well, Narnia. No, Narnia is one of them. Okay. And another fiction book that you would have read more than once. Harry Potter. No, think of uh, my favorite stuff. Dude, I feel like we're on the <laughs> I feel like we're on with those those old game shows with married couples <laughs> where they're like, What does your husband prefer to you know how how does your husband prefer to hang the toilet paper? You know, she's he likes it on the front. What? It's starts hitting her with the card because <laughs> Come on, honey. <laughs> okay, anyway, what Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that should have been a gimme. You guys, yeah. I'm disappointed in you. No, you should be disappointed in us. Yes, oh, that, that that was a gimme. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And okay. then yeah. I would say um, the um, Princess Bride. I would you not have guessed book? that. Yeah, no, you, you guys wouldn't have guessed that one. What's that? Wow. Yeah, I've read the book multiple times. You've talked about that book. That's one of your favorites. I remember you talking yeah. about that in, yeah, in one one an episode favorite. or two. But yeah, I'm so sorry, man, about Lord of the Rings. I should have. 
Yeah, that that was a home run. I served it up yeah. on a t-ball platter, and you guys yeah. whiffed. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. Okay, well, sorry. I I as far as fiction that I'll read more than once, it has to be something that has that has a richness to it, and that I I find a richness in 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 Frankenstein. There is some deep deep stuff going on along with horror and the sci-fi elements and you know the characters themselves there i like i like dr frankenstein um i i wouldn't necessarily want to be his friend considering what happens <laughs> with him but um as far as a character goes he's well written and i find this novel like i said i, I believe it's a rich novel that um is worth uh, worth revisiting so yeah yeah all right, so that brings us up to Frankenstein, eighteen eighteen. Steve, yes, we're stopping here. So, do you have anything more to say about Frankenstein? Yes. So <laughs> say it, man. Again, we could do another show on just Frankenstein. I would it's like just, us to. Uh, honestly, that should be on our list. It's I, so I, pivotal. I mean, when you when you look at the the Universal monsters, you know, the, the Frankenstein is 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 the first. I mean, you know, in the movie series, it's a little different, but it's the first one that they a took little. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But, the, you know, it's it's the first one that they took and said, you know, we're going to make monster movies. And, you know, in in that same way that horror is a, a genre of fantasy, um, you know, this is it, this is a horror book, but heavy, heavy, heavy science fiction, whereas, you know, something like Dracula not so much the science fiction, you know, you get sort of like a, the, the fantasy elements and all that interesting stuff. You want to know but, how, how many times I've read Dracula? Five. No, like Zero. less than half of a time. <laughs> I, that's another one. I just can't get through. Just wow. cannot get through that one. It's, it's letters. It's epistolary. I just, yeah. I, I, I don't like the narrative. I can't get into it. It just, I'm like, um, I'm, I'm done with this. Bram Stoker, I'm sure you're a genius. <laughs> I'm just going to trust everyone else. Nice. Well, I, I enjoyed it. But, um, you know, the, just the, the way that they, you know, in the movie, they took the certain elements and, and you know, represented it. But the way that, that Mary Shelley just creates these real characters. I mean, the monster is you have this this sense i mean he's not this over the top boris karloff you know goof no not at all back now and i mean back then it was probably hideous but it was it's it's this very human you know almost like a better human than we are well because of what he's striving for oh you're making me want to do an episode about this because it's just tragic what happens to him And just who he is and what he does and what he wants and desires. Oh, yeah. We we need to do an episode about it. Um, Okay. So have you ever read her um, book, The Last Man? This is from uh, the 20s, 1820s. Um, It's another kind of sci-fi novel. It's kind of a last man on earth kind of thing. Right. I, I want to read it. I have it on my shelf, and now we're making me want to read that one because, um, 
because I would say I am a fan of Barry Shelley, but based on only one book. <laughs> so, um, so maybe more I'm a fan of that book. But all right, so where we go from here? Well, this is Frankenstein being the first sci-fi novel for me. This is the one that kind of cracks open the genre, mm-hmm. and and just kind of gives the the look at well, what can you do with sci-fi? Right. And from here, you know, we're, there's a lot more stuff that happens in the 1800s. But Steve, you wanted to start in the antiquities, and I wanted to stop right here because this, for me, is the first one, and this right. is the one where it's just the power of sci-fi is finally you know brought to life, brought right. to life with electricity, like a creature <laughs> made of human flesh, you know brought to life from a table exactly yeah by science and it, it's interesting how you go from gilgamesh where he's interacting with the gods and it goes full circle to the new prometheus yeah you know mm-hmm. using another myth meme to to uh to ex- examine this this new thing and you know you you it's, it's from Gilgamesh. It's all been loading up the bag. It's all been putting stuff in. It's all been, you know, arming, you know, the, the magazine or whatever you want to say. And now you have the like the first person who has the gun that can shoot that ammunition. And you know she just happens to be a marksman with it. Yeah. So just a, a, f- a fantastic, I mean, you know, an, an examination of, of human nature, an examination of, you know, a lot of things that, that uh, you know, still come up. Uh, I was, I was yeah. speaking with um, uh, Caesar Kalinowski a couple uh, episodes ago, and his stories that he had in his music – one of them was about a clone and we had some interesting conversations about cloning and, and things like that and, and what are what would those things be? Would they be human beings? Are, do they have a soul? You know, and are they people? And that's the same questions he's trying to answer in his stories that Mary Shelley is, is trying to answer with Frankenstein. And Mary Shelley with Frankenstein it, the themes still resound today. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I think we need to wrap up this conversation, though, because it's getting late. Um, I'm not sure about you, but I am sure about Dr. Jace and me. I'm getting tired. So yeah, I think yeah. we need to um, say goodbye. So you guys have any last words, final thoughts to throw out? Um, no. No? Dr. Jace? <laughs> um, no. Okay. Well... <laughs> Um, it was just it, it was it was pretty voluminous. I think we <laughs> well we hit highlights here. I mean, I was hitting things that I was familiar with, and I'm not familiar with everything, obviously. Um, and I don't think either are you, Steve. But um, this is an overview, and yeah, I <laughs> definitely though read Frankenstein. That's going to be my final word here. Right, my final word: read Frankenstein. So, last chance. Nope. Okay. It's all yours. Well, that said, we'd love to hear from you, some of your thoughts about these um, proto-sci-fi stories and novels. 
and you know you can just go to strangersandaliens.com and you can contact us through many 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 different ways there so that said thank you very much for listening everyone we really really appreciate it and until next time godspeed You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening. Arabian nights. Yeah. And Arabian that, 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 days. That was worth the whole the whole the whole A episode. fool off his guard could fall and fall hard in <laughs> thousands of ways. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs>